The definition of investigation is as follows. The action of investigating something or someone, formal or systematic examination or research. Everybody discovered, discarded, no matter how they are found, are investigated. Where that ends depends on the case. Many can say this was an accident or homicide with just looking at the clues around the body. Amanda's discovery provided enough questionable clues located around and on her body that the Buffalo PD were on point with the investigation. From the date that Amanda went missing, they began investigating what happened to her. The person of interest was none other than Antoine Garner. A bolo was issued for Amanda Winkowski. Birth, June 2, 1988. Approximately 5 foot 3, 100 pounds. Tattoo of butterfly on back, rose on foot area. Last seen on December 5, 2008 on Spring Street in Buffalo, New York. Wearing a brown leather jacket, jeans, knee-high black boots. Missing purse case number 08-342-0820. If you have any information, please call the Homicide Squad, listing the tip line phone number. PD knew that you don't go into a house and disappear. Those inside the house that night of December 5th knew that as well. The difference is the homicide detectives had to figure out what those people inside of that house knew. Finding out what they knew was going to take some good investigative skills. On the bed inside of Antoine Garner's home was the Art Voice magazine, and it was turned to the page of Amanda's ad. Could she have been brought there to make a quick buck? Highly unlikely, as Amanda had another appointment across town at just 6.30 that evening. She was not planning on being at this justice person's house for more than five to ten minutes, just long enough for her to get out of sight of anyone who could say anything different. Nearly two and a half hours later, Amanda had yet to come back out of the home. Generally, people do not fall off the grid just by walking through the front door of a person's home they have never met. Some who were in the room that night claimed she slapped money down on the table. She was looking to make a buy. What's even stranger? is justice didn't deal in Amanda's drug of choice. Who sent her there that night? And did they know that would be the last thing that Amanda would ever do? Welcome to the True Crime Librarian. I'm your librarian and host, Ashley. Tonight, we're going to close out the look into the suspicious death of Amanda Lynn Winkowski. This isn't the end of the story. The war is still raging on with Leslie at the forefront fighting for justice for her daughter. This isn't a fight that should have ever, ever happened, but when Amanda's body was rolled into Erie County Medical Examiner's office, it was clear to the detectives present at the autopsy that this girl was murdered, and they were certain that they had their guy, the one hiding behind the door at 127 Spring Street directly across from where Amanda was found. The story has one more twist before we hit the current end of the timeline. Could it possibly be the snag to unravel this entire cover-up? It's possible, but we can't budge one step until there is newly recognized manner of death. Warning. 
This episode contains graphic detail of murder and adult language. Listeners, discretion is advised. If you feel any of this may be too much for you, please skip this episode or have someone listen with you or for you. Good evening, my true crime nerds. We have just a teeny tiny bit of housekeeping to get to tonight. You can still head over to the truecrimelibrarian.com and pick up your anniversary merch. We just have a few more days before it goes away from the site. From there, you can hit that donation button to help keep the show up and running. Don't forget to leave those comments, reviews, and recommendations on the show. Those things seem unnecessary, but it really does help a little show like TTCL grow and reach out to other nerds like yourself. And remember, sharing is caring. That's all we have for this week, so let's get to what you came here for, the true crime. So last week, we kind of combed over the differences between the two autopsies. Dr. Verdi's report was short, dry, when it came to the condition of Amanda's body. Just two years later, we see 72 pages added to what she initially found. What's irritating is that she claims there are no photo references from Dr. Coparini. Let me say this. Dr. Coparini, she was under some strict and unnatural rules when it came to handling the exam into Amanda Winkowski's death, one of which didn't allow for any of her staff to participate in either some or all of the exam. This meant that not only did she have to do the examination of the body, she also had to take the photographs, she had to make notes, she had to develop all the exhibits that she provided with her findings, This was not an easy task, and at the time, Dr. Coparini wasn't exactly a young bird, but she provided over 80 photographs in reference to her report. So when Dr. Verdi said that, of course, she suspected homicide when Amanda came in in the manner that she did, but did you really, or was there another reason to why you wrote the conclusion that you did? Mind you, there are no photos or exhibits referenced in Dr. Verdi's report. Was she afraid to admit she was not certain at what she was looking at? Was there a birdie in her ear demanding that she list the death as an accident? Did you forget that you were to report and protect your patient even under threat? That was part of why you chose the field that you did. In any event, The autopsy may not be the only thing that could help us in this case. 
I say help us, but really it's more like help Leslie, help her family, help their lawyer, help Gavin, help all of those that have been brought into this case and that are doing some of the hardest work they've ever had to do. I'm just here talking about the things that I know. What I have found and what Gavin has showed me, for every voice telling Amanda's story, there's a possibility to thousands of people hearing it and demanding justice. You can't ignore a crowd that large. You can't ignore that when you have several true crime podcast hosts, true crime YouTubers, reporters, family, other professionals in the forensic field, you can't ignore us being that loud. So we continue to tell you Amanda's story, even though we don't know how it's going to come to an end. Just know that Leslie is fighting and Leslie is meeting every deadline. She is scraping together everything that she can in order to find justice for her daughter. During the autopsy, there were Buffalo PD homicide detectives present. And I didn't talk about this last week because we were kind of just talking about the autopsy itself and what was being found. And obviously, if you go back and you listen to episode two of Treated Like Trash here on TTCL, you're going to hear that Dr. Verdi's report was like 10 minutes long. And then I spent the rest of the episode kind of telling you where Dr. Coparini was and how she found this and how she found that. And there were so many different things she pointed to that when you look at them, they all come back to manual strangulation. They don't come back to death by accidental heroin overdose. They don't come back to the fact that Amanda made risky choices they weren't what you or I or 90% of the population de deem as the appropriate choices, but they were hers. And she lived a life and she was young and there was still more life to had been lived. But instead, she met a person who took that from her. Now, the detectives that were present during her autopsy had already started investigating Amanda's death as a homicide from the moment they found her body at the church across the street, Antoine Garner's house. He was a person of interest in the case. But remember that little unspoken role that we talked about between Buffalo PD and the DA where the DA would say whether or not they could go out and make an arrest instead of the PD providing everything they could collect and having probable cause to make the arrest. And then the DA is taking all of that was collected and turning it into such a strong case that the jury couldn't have reasonable doubt. Two different agendas, two different jobs. However, you've got the latter making the decision for the former. It doesn't work like that. It shouldn't work like that. Let me clarify. It should not work like that. So while they're in the room and they're going through this autopsy and listening to what Dr. Verdes is saying, it isn't long before an argument erupts inside of Erie County medical staff's offices in regards to what Dr. Verdes is saying she finds. She seemed to almost start her investigation leaning to the intuition of an overdose from the very beginning. There is a source that was there for the investigation and there for the autopsy that said that when Amanda was found, her tongue had been bitten 
and there were apparent finger marks on her neck prior to her being transported over to the medical examiner's office. The detectives were clearly seeing this as murder. But then they get inside the exam room the following day after Amanda's had time to thaw out. And they begin fighting with Dr. Verdes and her staff. And this is what's going down because there's no, how do you do that? I mean, she, she doesn't have metabolites, which we didn't know at the time of the autopsy, but there's no fresh track marks in her arms. She, she didn't fit the bill of somebody who had died of there. You know, she still had contents in her stomach. Usually in a heroin overdose, vomiting is induced by the body as a way to rid itself as much as it can so that it can tackle the high levels of the drug in the system. And that happens with just about any overdose. You see, they are vomiting because the body needs to rid itself so it, it only has one job to do. She still had contents in her stomach. She still had contents in her bladder. She, you know, things were not conclusive to an overdose. So, you know, we go back. We're back to that unwritten law between the DA's office and in Buffalo PD. And now with Dr. Verdi's leaning towards his accidental death, they are shutting down the detective's investigation, tying their hands because there's nothing left to do. The DA now has cause of death being an accidental heroin overdose. There's not a case here. Who are you going to convict in an accident except for the victim themselves, correct? But why was she naked? Why was she head first in a trash can? Why did it take 34 days for you to find her across the street? There's questions here that do not fit your typical I overdosed and somebody just kind of pushed me aside. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you've got to get from point A to point B. Who was there? Who was that middleman? There's still somebody that could be held responsible for wrongful death. But Dr. Verdes is done. Completely done. Detectives who work in high crime areas, especially where homicide is most likely to occur given the geographical locations, many times can offer more insight into what something is than technology and training and medical professionals can. The two need to work together. And I feel like Dr. Verdi's either through what she was told to do, quit working with the other half, or that, it has to be that, right? I mean, is there another, is there an or? Is there something else? I mean, how, how could she come to this conclusion? How can she continue to back up her findings when it's been proven there's evidence of strangulation in Amanda Winkowski's body? But we have another possibility, you know, that the bug is planted in the Emmy's ear to mark this case only as an accident. The problem is that if we get Amanda Winkowski's cause of death changed to homicide by manual strangulation, we still have this initial autopsy, right? So it's still there. It's still out in the public and people can still view it. This is going to be a weak link 
when trying to strum up a case that has no doubt, right? So this is a lot of work for the district attorney's office. If we can change the death to homicide, then the investigation is opened back up and we start building the case. However, your defense, whoever you decide to charge with the murder of Amanda Winkowski, they're going to have their game plan handed to them thanks to this report. Because... You can use this if you're smart enough and thorough enough and tough enough to plant a seed of doubt inside of those 12 jurors' mind. I'm not sure that the district attorney could completely mark this report inadmissible during the trial. I think that if they tried, it's one hell of a fight to get it thrown out, and, I, and I'm not sure that they could. However, Let's go back here. Let's go back to a little but. We have so many. We have Dr. Coparini. We have a several kind of tox forensic toxicologists who break down what we what we were seeing in Amanda's toxicology for us. And the consensus is that nothing found in Amanda's body was enough to cause death, even as a combination of them together, right? Morphine and codeine. Morphine and codeine are not metabolites of heroin. She tested positive. They're in therapeutic levels. We find out, hey, she had a prescription for Tylenol 3 to help her through some of the pain of an infection that she had had not too long prior to her death. We don't have the metabolite that is indicative to heroin, that 6-monoacetylmorphine. We don't have that. We're still waiting to find accidental death from too much cannabinoids. We, we haven't seen that yet, so that's not enough. Um, the GHB was only slightly elevated, which we could conclude that that is due to buildup post-mortem because now we learned that GHB is naturally produced in your body. Okay, so we've got that. We even got the level of alcohol inside of Amanda's could barely pass as one alcoholic beverage in her system not altering her way of thinking, not altering motor function, not enough to cause an accidental death from alcohol poisoning. Plus, we know, thanks to going back to Travis Alexander and him being uh, decomposing in the bathroom for five days, the level of ethanol built up in him was so high that it did kind of warrant, did he have alcohol, but we know as the body decomposes, ethanol is put into the system. And so we're going to see that come back when natural decomposition takes place. So even then, you're not going to convince me that she died from combination of all of that. The experts are in agreement here. However, Dr. Verdes came to the conclusion she did. We're still kind of mind boggled. Like, where did you, how did you get here? You know, that's like, your destination's point A to point B, and you end up at point 12. Doesn't make any sense, right? Well, that's where we're at with this. So we, the more people that we can get on our side when it comes time to open this investigation back up and the state put together this awesome case to convict whoever is responsible for Amanda Winkowski's murder, whether it be Antoine Garner or someone else. If we can have so many of the, these accredited experts outshadow what four 
medical examiners in Erie County signed off on, the defense will only have that to stand on. And we can make it rickety enough that it'll collapse under their weight, right? So, yeah, we, we're we going to have to figure out how to get Dr. Verdi's and her report thrown out. But even if we don't, the more that Leslie and Gavin and the family of Amanda Winkowski and the lawyers for the family, the more that they do and the more they pull compile together, the better this case is going to get. And eventually, we, I mean, they could possibly build the entire district attorney's case right there for them. They could just hand it to them and be like, look, this, this, we did the lead work. But, you know, you passed the bar, so you have to present it, not us. You know what I'm saying? So there's give and take when it comes to what we're looking at here. The other thing noted by the source who had spoke out about what was going on that morning during the autopsy of Amanda Winkowski they also said the amount of Emmys that had signed off on the report. It's almost as if they wanted to eliminate any questions as they could by having everyone in the office seemingly sign off and say Amanda's death was an accident. Again, this is going to raise a little bit of doubt in the eyes of, you know, the jury and the defense can try and make it this powerful stance. It's really not. Just to me, what it says is, she walked into her superior's office and said, this is what I was told to do. This is my report. He said, cool, let's sign it. No questions asked. You know, she's a white girl with a drug problem and was a sex worker. She doesn't have family that's going to care, right? Just sweep it under the rug. Nobody's even going to notice. Wrong. So freaking wrong. But, you know, where, what, what do we know, Right. How could so many come to this conclusion, and I'm talking about the conclusion that we're all on as far as whether or not Amanda was accidentally overdosed or, you know, was she murdered? We're all on the side she was murdered. No question in our minds. So if we're all on the right track and there's someone there that night at Antoine Garner's house when Amanda came in that if possibly caught up in a scandal like this, it could potentially be bad for someone within the city of Buffalo. And then the best way to make sure it never gets out is mark it as anything and everything that's not homicide, right? What you cannot seem to look past is how many people that are starting to come forward. Regardless if we know their identity or not, they're saying this is a homicide from the moment we found Amanda cover-up or not, we have so many that have come into this case and they learned it bare bones and they're quick to be right on that same track with everybody else. Amanda was killed. And there is a significant amount of evidence showing somebody is covering someone's ass. Whose is it though? If the investigators could take one look and see the telltale signs that, hey, this is a murder, look at the degree of injury to her tongue and the finger impressions on her neck, why is it like pulling teeth to get access to Amanda's records? Why was it pulling teeth to figure out what happened to the Amanda's organs that were not retained by the body? Nothing from inside of her neck was put back into her body before she was buried. Special lawsuits had to be filed in order for Dr. Coparini to even get access to them and still she had to fly out from LA 
to Buffalo and examine them inside of Erie County Medical Examiner's Office with no help. So Leslie and her family and the team of lawyers, they've been filing one thing after another every step of the way. We had to get access to the organs. We have to get access to her records. We have to see everything that they're seeing that keeps pointing them towards heroin overdose, right? Well, here's the thing. If Leslie ever misses one of those deadlines, justice for her daughter could be halted possibly forever in its tracks. It's the legal services, the battles in and out of court that could potentially be for nothing if she misses one deadline. Still, she she fights, she gets up every day, and she continues this war against, I think, a group of people that could, I don't know, it, politics. Let's just point it back to what it is. It's politics, whether it's an actual politician or it's a person who supports political parties. It doesn't matter. It still comes back to that one word. Well, that's why... I think right now we are pushing so hard to get donations in order to have this new, um, to have Amanda exhumed and have a new exam done, especially in that area that we're looking at that was right there on Amanda's chin and cheek area. If these are created by high velocity electricity, this could give us the thing we need to get some freaking traction within Buffalo's DA. Really could. It could prove that there was foul play prior to Amanda's death. I mean, even if it was a heroin overdose, this could show that maybe it's possible that Amanda didn't give herself that injection. But it's not. We know it's not. But still, it could give us something, and it's new evidence. And new evidence restarts the clock. And the other thing is, if we can get enough people to conclude what Dr. Coparini did prior to her death, we will have more than a leg to stand on. The only, they only have the four ME signatures who are on the original report. But Gavin and, and Leslie and the lawyers, they have built up this extreme team of experts. And we, I mean, there was experts speaking out on Amanda's behalf prior to Gavin getting his hands on this. And if you have not gone over and listened to Gavin Fish on YouTube, go do so now. This guy is amazing. He's almost right there on the mark with his intuition, and I cannot speak highly enough of him. Absolutely love the show. He's working in real time to help Leslie figure out and unravel this whole thing. So... The only thing that I wish was that it didn't take as many people coming together, coming to the same conclusion to disprove Dr. Verdi's and her findings. I wish her superiors would have immediately kind of taken over and taken this from her when their, the new autopsy showed a different cause of death and, and maybe actually went and did their freaking job and took a second look at what she found. I mean, it's not thorough. When you lay these two down next, one's a book and one's barely long enough to be a magazine article. It makes my head hurt how different these two things are. 
And unfortunately, the legwork that's being done by Leslie Gavin and the family and the lawyers and everybody, it's only going to help the state in the end. But, you know, at the same time, the state, they threw in the towel and gave up on her because she was a risky person in life. She's still a human. If we can't stand up for people like Amanda, who are being pushed aside and fingers crossed, not forgotten about, how can we stand up for people like me and you? Gavin pointed this out during one of our conversations that we had, and I couldn't help but repeat this because it really makes you think. Amanda wanted to do good. Amanda was capable of doing so, so much good. She had a moment in life where things weren't on the up and up, right? Think back. Was there a time in your life that you look back on and you're like, I could have made better choices. This is not the person I am. Those shouldn't reflect what you think of me, right? Well, I mean, Amanda was the same way. How can we let that be who people think she is? It's not. She, she was a human who made bad choices, but that's part of being a human. We have the right to choose. That's part of being an American. We have this right to make these choices. They're not always the best choices, and they're not always the, you know, road less traveled kind of thing, but they're still choices. They're still hers. At the end of the day, she still had a family who loved her. She had a boyfriend who loved her. She had people in her life that wanted to see her succeed her sister her mother her dad the man she knew as her dad forever you know there were people out there rooting for her for every day that she wake up and make a different choice today than she did yesterday and she had that possibility but what do we know right <clears throat> well let me say this this story has one more twist i want to talk about before I can truly say we've covered any and all aspects of it, let me introduce you to Ryan Wormy, former Niagara Falls police officer who just happened to be arrested in December of 2008, around the same time that Amanda went missing. So Mr. Ryan was former Niagara Falls officer. He attended college at Western New England College where he played football. And he was arrested during his time on the team, and he was charged with assault. He was suspended from the team for four games, and then with the understanding that he'd toe the line and not get into any further trouble, the charges would be removed from his background. Not technically expunged, but also not there for consideration. When Wormy decided to follow in his father and grandfather's footsteps and join Niagara Falls City Police Department, they were aware of the assault charge. However, it was not used in the consideration of him joining the force in August of 2005. Well, come two years later, 2007, he'd only been on the force for two years and Wormy started selling crack cocaine, even when he was on duty. He would later go down for a charge of distribution of a controlled substance, crack cocaine. He would deal it even in his uniform and using police force issued cruiser. And during this time of dealing out crack cocaine, he also carried with him his service weapon, 
So that earned him a federal government charge in carrying his service weapon to make these drug deals. Ormy was later accused of asking a woman who was parked in her vehicle to step out of the car. When she complied with his orders, he used the opportunity to grope her inappropriately. He would be charged for violating her civil rights in this incident. Wormy was known to tip off dealers, tip off street workers, tip off sex workers of any undercover work going on in their area. And in 2008, Wormy began providing yet another of his cocaine suppliers with the description of Niagara Falls Police Department's undercover cars. Quote, another time he was warned, another time he warned narcotic traffickers about an impending Niagara Falls Police Department search a few hours before the search was to take place, thus allowing traffickers to remove all evidence of crack dealing from the Cedar Avenue drug house that was to be searched. This information allowed the individual who was supplying Wormy with crack cocaine and who was wanted by Niagara Falls County Court on a warrant to elude officers looking for him and thus avoid arrest, allowing him to continue activities as crack dealer. This coming from FBI briefing issued the day that Ryan Wormy pled guilty in April of 2010. Could there be mutual connection between Antoine Garner and Ryan Wormy? I mean, they both probably benefited from the information being leaked from Officer Wormy or former Officer Wormy. Um, they both dealt in the same drug. Now, whether or not they were within the same drug ring, I don't know. I can't prove that. Um, it's not exactly like these big drug dealers and traffickers are coming out and be like, oh, yeah, no, that officer, he dealt for me. And so did Antoine Garner. They don't come out freely speaking like that. That's self-incriminating. They don't, even, even if they were just a person who could not shut their trap, they probably would not have shared that information. Wormy is accused of responding to a call in an apartment complex and then at the time sexually assaulting a 19-year-old woman. When she called to make a complaint, she was told that Officer Wormy would no longer be responding to any more calls in her complex. However, that promise was not held up to. As he responded in September of 2007 to another call in her complex and again assaulting her. The only thing to come from these accusations is she wins a lawsuit where Niagara Falls would pay her $500,000 in compensation. He was never charged, so these assaults are alleged. He would be accused of two more sexual assaults prior to the first attack of the victim in the apartment complex and two more following the last attack of her. So if we're keeping track, that's six sexual assault charges that we know of. He would be arrested in December of 2008. Leslie, she remembers Amanda had a relationship with a guy named Ryan Wormy. The whole reason for her applying to the community college the day before she went missing was Amanda wanted to start taking classes in criminal justice with the hopes of one day becoming a correctional officer. Amanda and Danielle both had spent time on the streets. They both used drugs together, heroin being their drug of choice. 
and they both worked with officers during this time as informants. Leslie said that Amanda had mentioned that she really enjoyed working with the police and helping them in every way that she could. She also recalls that Amanda had known Wormy from his time of coming into Cocktail Bob's where she worked as a bartender and saying that Amanda would do anything for him. Leslie can remember back to the summer of 2008 prior to Amanda's death when she said a strange car was parked in the family's driveway. She said, quote, because of what she told me, I knew it was the police. I went out and asked them what they were doing, and they said they were waiting for Amanda. I told them I would do it, but I didn't want her involved. They just laughed, and she came out, got in the car, and they all drove off, end quote. This is what Leslie tells Niagara Falls reporter Mike Hudson. Now, whether this happened, we don't know if one of the cops in the car was Wormy himself. We just know that Amanda knew him and she worked with him as far as an informant goes. I can't help but wonder if Ryan did to Amanda what he was convicted of doing to the woman in the parked car and the accusations of sexual assault on the six women. Well, five women, maybe more. Had Amanda been a part of Wormy's abuses of powers, you can't help but make the connection of the crack cocaine between him and Antoine. You also can't help but wonder if she was going in that night to Justice's or Antoine Garner's house to make a buy of crack cocaine, and something went wrong, and Wormy didn't hold up to whatever he had promised her as far as protection went. It wouldn't be a far stretch because of his past crimes that you could see him sending informants into situations without following proper protocol and making sure they were protected. It's not a far stretch. It wouldn't be the further stretch to say he possibly did this with Amanda more than once, and that may be where that confidence came when she came into Antoine's house and slapped the money down on the table looking to make a buy. Was he checking out the competition? Was he looking to flood the market and, and possibly overtake Antoine's customers? I don't know. There's a whole lot of what-ifs in this situation. However, I wanted to cover this because I found the connection between Ryan and Amanda too coincidental, okay? Because he abused power. Amanda's boyfriend at the time, he was in jail on a parole violation. However, Amanda believed the more she worked with the police, the, the higher the chance that they would lower his jail time, even allowing him to walk free. So she continued to do the work, hoping to benefit her boyfriend. I could see that promise being made. And it doesn't, I'm not saying that uh, former officer Ryan Wormy is involved in this at all. Let me make that perfectly clear here. I cannot find a solid connection between Ryan's dealing of crack cocaine and Antoine's dealing of crack cocaine. But if I was going to drum up a scenario, this would be that either Antoine and Ryan worked for the same trafficker and, and selling crack cocaine and 
somehow it got out that that's what Amanda was doing. She was buying as an informant. And that's how things went down behind that door. Or the other scenario is Wormy was trying to get rid of the competition because if you are the only one with the drug out on the street, you only benefit to make more money. Leslie reached out to Ryan after he was sentenced and sent to federal prison, and the two spoke about Amanda. But when Leslie started to talk about what happened to Amanda and Antoine Garner, Ryan shut off all communication with her. Like I said, this doesn't necessarily mean that Ryan is involved. And I want to make it perfectly clear I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm just saying the connection and the coincidence of this is eerie. And you can't help your mind from going down that tunnel that it's quite possible that Amanda thought she was doing something good. In actuality, she was mixed in with a a guy who just went power hungry. As of date, there's no connection to from Ryan to Amanda's case. The, the only thing is the two work together in the sense that she would give him intel. Wormy was sentenced to 13 years and nine months to a federal penitentiary. He only served nine years before he walked through the gate and into the free world in December of 2019. This is kind of where his story ends inside of Amanda's story. I'm not sure if he has spoke out publicly since his release about the loss of a friend because from what I picked up, Amanda and Ryan were friendly due to his time coming into Cocktail Bob's. And so he he was dealing with his own crap in December of 2008. And it may not have hit him that he lost her Um. In January of 2009, he was, like I said, he was encompassed in his own highly illegal activities. So now I don't know since his release if he's had time to process this. I don't know if he is a part of this, if he, you know, if he's part of the reason Amanda went there that night. I don't know if there's guilt there. I don't know. I would like to say that I hope he came out and he was reformed and he's a completely different person today than he was prior to his arrest. I don't know him enough to say this is who he is. I just know that we are looking, it's like making a pot of soup. You kind of just take everything in the kitchen and throw it in a big old bowl and nuke it till it's hot and go, "Mm, soup is here. We're kind of doing that with this case because we don't have a foot to lead us in the right direction because we started off with Dr. Verdes. Yeah, you know, worst damn first step you could make, right? So we're playing catch up here and we're trying to piece together stories. And unfortunately, due to the lifestyle Amanda was living at the time of her death, we don't have a lot of people talking out freely. Because then that could implicate them in whether being part with Antoine Garner or being a part of her sex worker life or whatever. These people, you keep your mouth shut. You keep your head down. You keep your eyes on the ground and you keep going. You don't 
You don't put information out there that could possibly endanger your freedom. So figuring out how this big pot is going to come together to this delicious soup is not happening because we have too many stories going in here that don't have an ending. We are chipping away and hoping we find that ending, but who knows? You really can't say for certain other than let's get the cause of death changed. But then, you know, where do you go from there? Maybe that's why I'm not an investigator. Instead, I just talk about everybody else investigating. That's a possibility. In true crime, it's typical to see a dead end or two in an investigation. But with Amanda's story, it seems like that's all we're finding here. Dead end after dead end. Not because we aren't looking, but maybe because we're looking at every single piece and following each one down a rabbit hole of information. Generally, when covering true crime, there is an end to the story. However, with this one, Amanda's story is still highly active and we don't have a conclusion yet. Tonight's episode is, is rather short because I needed to talk about a couple theories and theories are all we have to go on until we find something to break through that glass ceiling that everybody seems to be bumping their heads into. Theories of corruption from every angle from the medical examiner's office to the possible corruption in some of the police officers that Amanda had been known to associate with, even up to the level of the DA in the state of New York. We have corruption everywhere we're looking at this case. The one that I feel like will have the most traction is the theory that somebody important was there that night and they were related to or part of uh, an inner circle of somebody who had a political standstill in the world. And their involvement could have put a black mark on that person's reputation. And the only way to prevent that from happening is hoping no one would notice the death of a white girl in the inner city. Hope she didn't have a family who cared to find out what actually happened to her and hopes that everyone would overlook the mess that they just swept up under the rug. Maybe when the powers to be are no longer doing what the citizens of Buffalo need and want them to do, we can get someone in there to look at this case and not see a dead sex worker with a heroin addiction, but a human being who's viciously attacked by a man nearly four times her size. That would make them want to do everything that they could to make sure that man stays behind bars in order to protect their community and those who they are elected to serve rather than only doing things that are beneficial to themselves in the end. Mayor Byron Brown had the balls to say this to Leslie. Um, he said, quote, what was a white girl from the suburbs doing in the inner city? End quote. Byron Brown has a very long history of being mayor in Buffalo, New York. I think he's on his fourth um, term. He's currently up for re-election this year, and he was defeated in June of 2021 in the Democratic primary by India Walton. 
after this defeat, Byron announced that he was going to continue to run as a write-in candidate in the general election happening November 2nd of 2021. Maybe if he's defeated, there could be a chance that Amanda's case would be brought to the forefront and we could get somewhere further in this case, regardless of who's at fault for the death of Amanda Winkowski. However, I think that the longer he stays in office, the harder this is going to be. And those in, in, in Buffalo, New York, we need somebody in there who hasn't become complacent. I don't know Mr. Brown's political views. I don't know his promises. I'm not a citizen within his town. I just feel like complacency has set in with him in his time as mayor. And I don't think that he took the seriousness of what happened in his inner city to heart. And we need somebody in there who's not scared to ruffle some feathers and who really is there to work for the people because it's time to bring somebody to justice for Amanda. It's time to make somebody accountable for the murder of Amanda Winkowski. Prior to Governor Como signing in Amanda Lynn's law, it was a misdemeanor offense to unlawfully conceal or dispose of a body within side of New York State. With Amanda Lynn's law, it's now a Class C felony to conceal or unlawfully dispose of a body in the state of New York, thus earning you up to four years in prison and up to a $5,000 fine. This comes after the death of Amanda Lynn Winkowski in 2009, a little late for the person or persons that dumped her into the trash and left her to be found by a member of the New Covenant United Church of Christ. Quote, with this legislation, these vile and reprehensible acts will be treated under the law with the seriousness they deserve. The heartache and uncertainty that Amanda Lynn's loved ones experienced is unacceptable and I thank the sponsors of this bill for working to help ensure the horrific situation is not repeated. Governor Como had that to say after signing in the new law. This was small victory for Leslie and the family of Amanda who had been fighting, but this is nowhere close to where her story ends. Please, if you haven't already, head over to treatedlike trash.com, sign up to be a part of Amanda's army, 
If you're capable, make a donation or purchase a t-shirt to help get another examination done so we can keep uncovering evidence to prove what we already know. Gavin will continue to cover Amanda's story as he has new things to present to the public. TTCL will continue to follow Amanda's case, and when we finally get someone to see what is right there in front of their face, I'll be doing an update episode. Join me next week as we tackle a whole new case, one where a mother should know best. But is it what's best for her or for her child? As always, I leave you with one last line. A mother's love for her child is like nothing else in the world. It knows no law, no pity. It dares all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. Much love, the true crime librarian.